On today's Film & Whiskey, we are talking with Filmland Spirits, a new whiskey company that's just come out with three fantastic whiskeys. And if you can't tell, uh, they, they approach topics that we might care just a little bit about. That's all ahead on Film & Whiskey. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we are coming at you with another special bonus episode. Mm, bonus episode. Brad, I'm really excited to share the interview today with our listeners because, uh, man, I, I mean, what can you say? Dude, the, <laughs> this is just the epitome of what we have been trying to do for these last three and a half years. Talk about movies and whiskey. Uh, they took it one step further, and they've worked in the movie industry and make their own whiskey now. And I just think that this is—I don't know, man. Actually, they—they've kind of done everything we want to do. So yeah, maybe it's we kind of just hang it, up the old, uh, <laughs> hang it up, and and be done. I was going to say either we should hang it up or we should just take it as a glimpse into our own future. You know? Yeah, yeah. We've always talked about starting our own film company. So yeah, just throw whiskey in on top of it, man. <laughs> well, hey, I don't want to vamp any longer. This is a really good conversation. So let's get right into it. We're going to be talking with Troy and Charlie from Filmland Spirits. And uh, without further ado, here's the interview. All right, everybody, we are joined today by two people who I have been waiting months and months to talk to. Brad, uh, I'll give the backstory in just a minute, but suffice it to say, we're speaking with a brand today. And I don't know if we will ever again speak to a brand that is more aligned with the goals of our podcast than Filmland Spirits. Yeah, Bob, the the spirits themselves have just like lined up perfectly. And this is a company that really loves movies and really loves whiskey. Uh, and I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody else who uh, feels that way about things. Yeah. So, so I mean, we, we got them on the show specifically so I could look them in the eye and say, what the hell are you doing? This is our turf. Like, <laughs> back off a little bit here. But we're joined today by Troy Bolotnik, who is the founder and CEO of Filmland Spirits, and Charlie Flint, who is the VP of Operations. Gentlemen, welcome into Film and Whiskey. Thank you very much. Super, yeah. super happy to be here. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. All right, so let me give a little bit of backstory. About six months ago, I'm on Instagram, and there is a very helpful account on Instagram that just kind of monitors new submissions to the TTB. Every time a new whiskey label is created, they take a screenshot, they share it with the world. And I saw that there's a, a brand that's coming out called Filmland Spirits, and that they have this cool retro-looking bottle design that looks like an old sci-fi movie poster. And I immediately tried to find you guys on Instagram. I said, let's get you on the show. And whoever was running your account at the time was like, yes, yes, let's do that. Also, we don't actually launch for like six months. And so this has been a long time in the making. But uh, give us a little bit of a backstory of the brand itself. How did Filmland Spirits come to be? Uh, sure. Ab absolutely. And thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot more than six months for us, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You, you mean it takes um, longer than six months to get a, uh, a distillery off the ground? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so, think about it. It's a lot like making a movie, 
right? There you a go. lot of parallels, a lot of parallels. Um, so I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. But I mean, Charlie and I have been friends for uh, almost 30 years and have worked together in various capacities in the entertainment business, in related businesses and non-related businesses. And um, we both were both uh, writers. We're both creatives. We both worked in the entertainment industry. And um, I don't know, somewhere 10 years ago, maybe, because Charlie now lives in Atlanta. I live in L.A. Uh, we both sort of together and separately got into whiskey and got into bourbon. And, uh, you know, we just our, our friendship like took went to the next level when we realized we were both into it and our geekiness and nerdiness went to the next level. And we started visiting distilleries. We, we would make an annual pilgrimage to Kentucky, right, the motherland, and started mm. visiting distilleries there. And on one of our annual trips, we were just driving between Lexington and Louisville, as we often would do, and said, you know, we got to do our own brand. We got to do a distillery or a brand or something. We, we got to do this. We can do this. I, I was going to uh, say, the classic story, though, is like sitting at the bar about five, six drinks in and be like, hey, you know what we should do? We're open our own bar. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, we've had that conversation. Oh, we've okay. had that conversation in Atlanta, in LA, in China, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of places I plan to open a bar. <laughs> right. And stock it with your own spirits. A hundred percent. Well, guys, tell us a little bit about your history with the film industry. Because that, like... I'm I'm really curious. We you know we talk to all these distillery owners and we get the whiskey spiel over and over. And I'm I'm excited to hear about your whiskey. But uh, to start here, I am really fascinated with what you guys did in the industry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I came out to Los Angeles from New York 30 years ago to be a writer, to be a screenwriter specifically. That is what I've wanted to do since I can remember wanting to do anything since five or six years old. And. Uh, uh, it was an, an interesting journey. I wrote some movies. I wrote a lot of different things. I did just about every job there is to do on one level or another in the entertainment industry because I started as a production assistant and worked as an associate and line producing and a little bit of directing and a lot of writing. So did did, did it all in that regard. And then, um, you know, one day just said, you know, I love writing and I love the movies, but I'm not like the biggest fan of the movie business itself. Um, had some crazy experiences, which one day we should make a movie out of and just, you know, became sort of took my passions elsewhere and became a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And and in my case, I actually uh, I didn't move to L.A. intending to to write or necessarily even be in the entertainment industry. Um, I actually moved there because Troy had created um, in the mid 90s. Troy co-created one of the first pieces of entertainment on the on the Internet. It was a website called The Spot. It was essentially um Melrose place on the internet back when mm. nobody was doing entertainment on the internet and I'd become a fan and I was working uh for a college in in the Midwest in Indiana and as a way of kind of uh like you know stretching my creative skills and also learning uh, HTML I wrote my uh, effectively created a website and wrote myself into their storyline um and he and his then partner called me up and and were like you know move to LA and and come work with us and do more of this and uh i you know i assumed that it was just a bunch of sketchy dudes in a garage in Culver City California um but they flew me out and they were in fact uh just a bunch of sketchy dudes in a garage in <laughs> Culver City California um but i took the leap and and i moved out and then um so along the way i you know Troy and i've written together Troy and I have written, you know, I've written with with other writing partners and and have written individually. Obviously, I live in Atlanta, like Troy mentioned earlier. So clearly, 
not the most successful screenwriter of all time. I, you know, I, I did manage to sell um, a, a few things on my own. And Troy and I have, I have, uh, I think we sold a, t- a TV, um, a TV series <laughs> treatment together. None of it great <laughs> that I did at least, and and none of it ever came to you know become. It never became a full time career, so I moved on with um with my life and um now get to go back and kind of revisit that side of of uh, you know my personal history you know in the form of in this different form in the form of you know a spirit that that celebrates the movies and allows us to go back and do some of the writing and be creative the way that we were were in the past and um develop screenplays but not necessarily for the big screen instead for a a, a big exciting bottle so guys we just got back uh, over the weekend from the Kentucky Bourbon Festival which happens every year in Bardstown Kentucky and we had a booth there and we were interacting with the public a lot and and a lot of people kind of ke- kept asking us why movies and whiskey like how did you hit on this topic and I guess for me, because I'm such a movie nerd, it was like, well, this just gives me an outlet to talk about things that I'm already talking about and I get to drink whiskey while I do it. But I've been trying to think of, you know, uh, how to wax poetic about it. And I think I have some ideas, but I want to pose the question to you guys first. When you think about these two passions of yours, movies and whiskey, like where do you see the intersection there? What are the commonalities and, and why do those things marry so well together? Well, I think, I mean, from a, from the standpoint of making both, right? They, when I think about it, they both require the same fundamentals, right? You said passion, mm-hmm. art, science, creativity, right? There are two things I always, I always used to say when I was in the entertainment business, like I love the science of it, but I also love the art of it. Mm-hmm. And I say the same thing about whiskey. When Charlie and I were visiting all those distilleries, it's like love tasting it, love just the fact that two people can use the exact same process and end up with something that tastes completely different. Mm-hmm. And yet there's also science in there. And I think, you know, we, we always say one of our little lines for Filmland is, you know, we, we craft with whiskey with a movie making mindset. And that's really where it comes from is, is, is the approach is the same as those sort of four fundamental pillars of, of passion, art, science, and creativity. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and, and like Troy said, we've talked about it a lot. I would say another thing is just community, right? There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, you know, hobbies or industries that people get very passionate about, but spirits, whiskey in particular, bourbon in particular, um, and films are, are, are two of the ones that, uh, you know, like personally, <laughs> I've gotten the most involved in, but I find people that are super passionate about them, right? Like, I don't know any, well, certainly there are people who have, you know, rooms and rooms full of beanie babies or whatever, but not nearly as many as there are with rooms and rooms full of, of whiskey. I know people who have massive, uh, bourbon collections. And and I'm sure you guys do too. Mm-hmm. I know people who have massive film collections and, and often they're the same people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and it's just, I think that they're two, you know, that they are, that are, they're two, um, two topics that people can get really passionate, very opinionated about, you know, there's, there's the movie that Troy loves. I might not love as much Logan's run. There could be whiskeys <laughs> that Troy loves that I might not love as much. Um, and you know, everybody perceives, uh, both of these things, both of these arts differently. And I think that's part of what makes it really cool. I um, mean, bringing the two together is, is exactly that, right? Like, you know, it gave us an opportunity to geek out in creating, you know, um, uh, concepts, creative concepts that we thought would be really interesting. But at the same time, it also gave us a chance to geek out creating, uh, um, you know, taste profiles and products that we think taste really great as well. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been thinking about this question for the last couple of days, too. And I just I really think that when you look at the history of movies and you you look at some of the earliest films ever made, you know, that that classic short film of the train pulling into the station. And then if you watch Scorsese's Hugo, he he shows how people were leaping out of their seats, right? Because they, they thought the train was going to come through the screen. And movies were something for the people and of the people when they first started. They have always been something that has appealed to the masses, to the poorest of the poor people. And yet immediately you see guys like like Melies come in, in in France and start applying art to that and saying, like, I'm going to make a trip to the moon and it's going to have these crazy special effects and we're going to try double exposures and whatever. And whiskey's the same way. Like whiskey started in areas of the world and is still famous for Scotland, like historically oppressed, right? And and Kentucky, like they were poor people in the hills that shared this thing with each other. And there's just something about how movies and whiskey can be the pinnacle of artistry and can also be something that is just for the people. And I think that there's very few things in the world that can really cover that span as well as both of those things can. I think that's very, very nicely put. I think that's a fantastic perspective. Well, thanks. I've been practicing it for like three days. So. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as you were saying it, I was thinking to myself, and, and both are, are, are fantastic, you know, means of escapism, right? Like if you've had a terrible day at work, go home, put on a great movie and just kind of let the world go away. Um, if you do it with a glass of uh, a great bourbon in your hand, I guess it goes even further. Well, let's let's do that. Let's pivot a little bit into talking about the whiskey that you guys are making. Brad, I'm going to throw over to you because I know that you were the one that really wanted to ask a lot of questions about the whiskey itself. I mean, first off, whoever your marketing team is, uh, Rise of the Robots and uh, Moonlight Escape, I believe it is. Moonlight Mayhem. Uh, Moonlight Mayhem. I apologize. Are two of the best, uh, you know, labels for whiskey that I've ever heard of. Tell me about your guys' initial lineup because I'm seeing a rye, a bourbon, and a cask strength bourbon. Uh, but we can forget about that for a second. You guys have the coolest labels in the world, and I want you to tell me all about them. Uh, uh, sure, absolutely. And that was, you know, that was sort of what, in, in a way, what we set out to do. Um, like when uh, when we were conceiving Filmland and this concept, we knew we wanted labels that stood out. We knew we wanted labels that we could um, be ourselves and express our humor and our sarcasm and, you know, just sort of sometimes silliness and sometimes seriousness. And so we had that framework. And then it came down to uh, uh, one of our co-founders. I was sitting with him and he, and we, we had been banging our heads against the wall as to what, you know, what the concept should be for months. And we were at that point where it's like, nothing's going to work. Everything's done. Everybody did it. It's trademark. We can't do it. And then all of a sudden, and he's a podcast host and he started interviewing me and he started asking me what I'm passionate about. And I started talking about writing and the movies. And he said to me, you know, Troy, I've never heard you talk this passionately about anything else except whiskey. Hmm. And we're looking at each other like, oh, we should put those together. And that's, that's kind of where it came from. And like six seconds later, Rise of the Robots blurted out of my mouth. <laughs> it, it, just, it, it was because it was actually originally had a longer name because I thought we wanted to do it. You know, B, the, these are meant to pay homage to the B movies of the mid 20th century. Yep. Right. Big over the top plots and characters, monsters, robots, aliens, that kind of thing. And those movies tend to have, you know, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They have a rhythm to the titles. <laughs> Originally, I envisioned it was going to be Rise of the Robot Bartenders. 
And then uh, for reasons of fitting on the label and some other reasons, we shortened it to Rise of the Robots, uh, which everybody seems to like better anyway. But um, so so one thing I wanted to sort of say is that a lot of people in the process, they, they kind of ask us questions about like, well, is it based on, you know, is Rise of the Robots based on a movie? Is it based on it? And I have this like weird concept that's hard to get across that in my mind, there is no difference between the liquid and the movie. There are one. Hmm. Right. And so it, it, like people say, like, you know, there's a story of the liquid and the liquid is the story and, and that kind of thing. It's all together. It's it's I'll find a more eloquent way of, of putting that. But in my mind, they're all one. So we came up with this idea of rise of the robots. Right. And, and our heroine, Courtney. And and then we went and uh, we found liquid. You know, obviously we source and we found we found liquid that we loved. And uh, and then Charlie and I, along with a couple of other members of our team, went to Kentucky and and started blending and started. You know, we have a we have a whole bunch of barrels and we started sampling them and blending them together until we found uh, a blend that is exactly what we wanted. We were aiming for um, and got it into uh, got it into this uh, particular product. And then we did the same thing with the bourbon Moonlight Mayhem. Um, is the you know story of where it, it's basically Romeo and Juliet with fangs is what we always say and it's, <laughs> it's like it's, it's a world where the dominant species on the planet are werewolves and humans are like the minority like every type of human is just minority shoved off to the side you know has to serve the werewolves that kind of thing and of course this young kid is just loves the nightlife where the werewolves all hang out on Hollywood Boulevard and he falls in love with the you know the beautiful young woman whose older brother is the leader of the pack you know that kind of thing um and so we did the same process you know tasting I mean we had we had days where we tasted 50 different barrels over the course of three or four days right and uh and and just found that that taste profile that we wanted because we're both you know we're both very particular about our whiskey and we both like certain things and we said let let's make sure that what we make has everything that we both like in it i think it's really apparent how much thought has been put into each of these bottles of whiskey and and like you're saying now there's a whole there's a whole treatment for a movie behind each of these and Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I can see you're gonna. I was gonna say we we wrote a uh, treatment for each of them, so we have a three or four page treatment which we wrote before we ever did the label. So when we started working with artists, we gave them the treatment. We said, "Here, you got to read this," and then we took them through the movie to help them, you know. And we we gave them the vision for what we wanted on on the label, what we wanted the poster to be. But we make sure everybody that we work with reads those treatments and understands the story. Cause like I said, the story is the liquid. The liquid is the story. That's incredible. I mean, and, and I think it carries over too into the actual bottle, not just the label. Cause the label, you know, you guys have, you know, your names and, and the proof and everything kind of printed on there. Like credits would be printed on a poster. But when you look at the bottle itself, and I have to ask about the bottles, like were these custom made for you guys? Did you just find something that kind of looked like it could be spun into this? Because it's hard to describe to the listeners, but there's like a like the rim around the outside of the bottle looks like sprockets on a film reel. And it, it, it I mean, it's just incredible. It's like I keep finding little Easter eggs on this bottle that just show the care that and the love that you guys have for cinema on here. Yeah, I mean, we so the bottles are completely custom, uh, you know, from scratch. Wow. They're, they're ours. They're, there's nothing else out there like it. And they are meant like they're both inspired by and meant to evoke sort of um, like the art deco style of 1930s movie theaters. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the, if you think about it, the way I always think about it is the bottle itself is the theater. It's the proscenium, right? And then the poster is the movie within it. Hmm. And so that that's what it's really meant to do is the bottle is the bottles represents that we are serious about everything we're doing, right? We're serious about the whiskey. We're serious about this brand. We're serious about quality and taste and all of that because our labels are meant to say, we love to make fun of ourselves and everybody else and have a great time. Yeah. Right. And so it's the, it's meant to be a combination of that, but the base of the bottle is a kinetoscope, like the Edison kinetoscope. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so, um, you know what I'm talking about where the, the original movie you mentioned before, like the horse running yep. in circles. Yep. And then um, our closure is actually sort of a combination between a film reel and a film can. So when you look at it from the side, it's kind of a film reel. But when you look at it from the top, it's a bit of a film can. Yeah, I love it. Charlie, I want to ask you, too. Uh, you know, Troy's been talking about the inspiration being kind of these art deco movie theaters or, you know, movie palaces. Did you guys have one of those movie theaters in your lives when you were kids? Because, you know, Brad and I are from Northeast Ohio. And one of the cool things here is you know, we have the multiplexes, but there are still a number of these really great old movie theaters. Uh, we have one down in Canton, Ohio, and there's also one here in Akron, the Civic Theater. And they're the ones that have like the nighttime sky uh, at the top of the theater with the little stars in it. And I, I don't know. I just I I'd love to hear about like what was your theater like that when you were both growing up? Yeah, well, uh, you mentioning that immediately evokes in my head one of the most classic, beautiful, you know, old, old style theaters. And it's there in L.A. It's the Egyptian, which is an absolutely gorgeous theater. Mm. If you're ever in L.A. and you haven't been, I highly recommend it. Still has the organ. They, they, you know, they have the lights and all of that on the ceiling. Um, myself, I grew up I'm, I'm an army brat. So I grew up moving all over the all over the world. Um, and usually on the army base, there would be a movie theater and it was kind of, you know, the movie theater wasn't elaborate like that. It was also used for, you know, like assemblies and briefings sure, and things sure. like that. Um, but, and there was no such thing as a, as a multiplex, you know, you got to watch whatever was showing, um, at that time. Um, and it was usually a couple of years behind what was, especially <laughs> abroad, it was a couple of years behind what was showing in the U S so, you know, like we didn't exactly get to see the the new stuff but what what i always remember when somebody asked me to kind of reflect on like going to the movies as a kid is uh that be be before the uh movie would actually play in a military uh movie theater they probably still do it today the national anthem plays almost like at a sporting event you have to stand up and put your hand on your heart and <laughs> um, you know like wait for the national anthem to end and then it's play ball and and the movie starts um so i never as a kid i never really got to experience some of these classic um, theaters really until I moved to to LA. And like I said, the Egyptian to me is the epitome of like the classic, beautiful, you know, grand, um, you know, like art deco style movie theater complete with, you know, with organs and the, and the lights and all of that, like you yeah. described. Um, so first of all, Charlie and I have known each other, like I said, almost 30 years and he just said something I've never heard him say before. So thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to, that's hard to do. Cause we've spent a lot of time together for me. It's, it's also, it wasn't necessarily growing up cause I have vague memories of like a theater called the Gables on like the main street. I grew up uh, on uh, Long Island in New York. And, uh, but I don't remember it being particularly ornate. It was when I moved to California um, that I was suddenly going to, you know, I don't know what it's called anymore. It used to be called Mans. Um, and then there's the El Capitan. These are like the Hollywood Boulevard uh, theaters. Mm -hmm. But then I moved to Westwood 
which had more movie theaters per capita than any other city or town in the entire country. And I was walking distance to all of them and did nothing but go to the movies like constantly. And a theater, I mean, maybe a block and a half from my house, I think it was called uh, the Pacific and I, and Disney at one point bought it and actually owned it. And it is exactly what you guys are describing. You go in, it's all art deco, it's colorful, like the whole proscenium is exactly what we're all picturing. And then the movie starts and the, or, or sort of the experience starts and the music plays and everybody looks up at the star filled sky and just sits there and waits for that comet to go across the sky to mm. kind of shoot across in the light. And it like made the experience. So I think that that's the theater that I always uh, keep in my head. And then a previous business that I did, one of my entrepreneurial efforts was uh, actually designing and building movie theaters for high-end residential homes here in Los Angeles. And so we would design theaters that looked like that, that had wow. a very art deco style, that had the Starfield ceiling and that kind of thing. Guys, how great are movies? This is just like, <laughs> I'm just grinning from ear to ear over here. And before we let you go, uh, we were floated a name, and Charlie, you've already dropped this name here. Uh, we we usually call this series my favorite movie, but it sounds like in true film and whiskey fashion, there's actually a bit of contentiousness about this favorite movie. So I think it's Troy's favorite movie. So Troy, why don't you introduce us to your favorite film? Okay, well, to be fair, I think Charlie and you guys are referring to Logan's Run. I would not say Logan's Run is my favorite film. Logan's Run is the film, the first film I ever saw in the theater when I was six years old. Wow. So at least wow. The I, rem I remember seeing, but I have vivid memories of seeing it. And uh, it made me want to be a writer because it terrified the heck out of me and delighted, you know, like made me crazy excited at the same time. It was so scary to think oh my gosh, you have to die when you're 30 and you're going to get exploded in this carousel thing. And it just terrified me. And I could like, I had nightmares about it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. Hmm. Right. So I would not call that my, my favorite film. I, you know, I have, hang thing on before you go any further, I got to point out, like, I just rewatched this movie in advance of this conversation because I haven't seen it in probably decades. And that's a wildly inappropriate movie for a six-year-old. I'm like, I'm horrified that that's what you were seeing at the age of six. I watched it. I rewatched it as well with my girlfriend who who had never seen it, and she was like, "Who took you to see this when you were six? <laughs> I was going to say this. This sounds like an origin story where where Batman is like terrified of the bats in the opera, and and Troy is terrified of the uh, the getting blown up in a carousel. <laughs> right, exactly. But to be fair, the movie was rated PG, and back then there was no PG thirteen. So parents That's a probably lot of nudity said, oh, in that okay. movie for a PG movie. Jeez, <laughs> the seventies were a wild time. <laughs> but well, it, Brad, you on, know, on that point, Brad, like there is this subgenre of seventies dystopian sci-fi movies that were also like huge hits. You know, we talk uh, like people always talk about how Blade Runner, you know, comes out in 82 and doesn't do well it, theatrically. But in the 70s, you've got movies like Logan's Run. You've got Charlton Heston and, and Soylent Green. Like, I, I think about all these movies and it's like, what what were people looking for in the 70s that this was like the populist entertainment? You know what I mean? And Brad, we've done this series of 70s movies and, and how the cynicism was running deep in general. But like especially in the sci-fi movies, it seems like this kind of thing just kept coming out. Well, even in the decade before, like one of the most famous movies of all time is Planet of the Apes. Sure. Right. And it's this super cynical look at humanity and what we're going to do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious what what was going on in the 60s and 70s. I, I don't <laughs> think there's any problems no, in at that no. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing they say about the 60s and 70s, it's that nothing ever went wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charlie, I got to hear it from you. Uh, Troy picked a movie. You got to say something before we let you guys out of here today. So so you guys are going to you guys are going to laugh. Um, and tr- I think Troy knows what my all time favorite movie is. And whenever I say it, people are usually kind of surprised. So it is literally as polar opposite of a film as you could possibly get from from these dystopian um, uh, like 70 late 60s and 70s era movies. I'm a I'm a big fan of George Miller and Babe. Yes, the Talking Pig movie, <laughs> not the baseball player movie. Babe is my all-time favorite movie. I've watched it more times than I can tell you. I've watched it on my own. I've watched it with my kids. I've watched it in the theater. I cry every friggin' time. I absolutely, I think it's like the perfect movie. It's just, it's full of hope, and it tells a great story of acceptance, and it's very well directed. Um, the sequel was trash, but the original <laughs> Babe by by George Miller is um, is. My all-time favorite movie, absolutely. My wife is like notoriously bad at memorizing or like remembering movie lines, but for some reason, the one thing that stuck and and she said she's like I haven't even watched Babe a ton as a kid, but she always remembers the Ba Ram U line. I mean, it's just like ingrained in her consciousness. <laughs> so, so um, actually, this brings up a total tangent, tangential, uh, uh, quick mini story. But one of the companies that um, Troy and I worked at eons ago was um, starting up an entertainment division for America Online. And I was a producer. I was behind the scenes. Um, but I had kind of been criticizing some of the on-air talent. Um, and so they're like, all right, Charlie, next interview you're going to do because you you know keep running your mouth so much. And um, oh, my God, I'm blanking. How can I do this? I'm uh, James Cromwell, who played the farmer mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. in Babe, was the next talent that came in. And so they had me go and interview him. And the reason this is relevant is it was my very first um, interview, much like this is our very first podcast (laughs) with this brand. And he was an extremely good sport. It was a great interview. He's kind of a nutty guy who, you know, like believes in UFOs and, you know, like got off on all these super fun tangents. But anyways, at the end, I said to him, you know, so this was my first interview. How did it go? And of course, he graced me by saying, that'll do, Charlie. That'll do. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I could probably get weepy just thinking about it right now if I try. <laughs> oh, man. You know, listen, for, for a guy that is like a words of affirmation guy, Charlie, I feel that. To, to have James Cromwell tell you, that'll do. Well, guys, I, I, I mean... It doesn't mean as much coming from us as it does from James Cromwell, but having tasted this whiskey, having talked to you about the brand and and having seen the passion that you've put into this, I think Brad and I would both say that'll do to both of you as well. Uh, something tells me this is not going to be our last conversation. It's it's really rare that we get someone on the podcast that is this passionate about both of the things that we love on here. So you guys have an open invitation. Come back whenever you'd like. Help us guest host. You know, we can uh, we can look at Logan's run and just invite Charlie and we can just, you know, <laughs> trash it if we want to. So. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. We would love to come back. Uh, you guys are awesome. This has been great. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Big fans. I've 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 been a listener for a while, so it's actually a, a real privilege to join you guys and uh, meet you in person. Well, thanks again. This has been Troy Bolotnik and Charlie Flint from Filmland Spirits. Be on the lookout for this whiskey. It is fantastic stuff, and it is film and whiskey approved for sure. 
We'll be back on Monday with another regularly scheduled episode. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>